What's up, everybody? Thanks for pressing play today. In today's episode of Nerd Nostalgia, you're going to find Brian, Irvin, and Trey chatting about three movies that we picked from the aughts, from the 2000s. Trey likes to call them the aughts. It is what it is. It's the 2000s. So the three movies we picked are going to be Watchmen. We're going to talk about V for Vendetta. And then finally, we'll cap off with Constantine. Now, you'll notice that we get a little sidetracked. There's a couple times that we talk about politics and movies and comics, specifically the X-Men. We also will diverge off and talk about a little bit of James Bond action and John Constantine, a couple other random stuff. But for the most part, it's going to be Watchmen, V for Vendetta, and Constantine. All right. Y'all know the drill. Actually, before we say that, there is a spoiler warning. We do spoil the shit out of these movies. Kind of hard not to. I try not to, but it is what it is. All right. Y'all know the drill. Before we get started, here's a quick clip for you to enjoy. The Rorschach voice and the Batman Dark Knight voice are pretty much identical. So when you do watch this movie, pay attention to that. It's that darkness voice. Swear to me. You know? I noticed it and I was like, huh, I was like, that is oddly familiar. And I was like, oh, duh, that's that's where that's from. It's from fucking Batman. And I was like, oh, duh, it's a Zack Snyder movie. Illuminati confirmed. Illuminati Urban is Batman. confirmed. <laughs> What's up, y'all? Thanks for joining us today. So in this episode... You probably already heard it in my description, but we're going to go over the three movies that we picked. Chris is not with us today, so you're just going to catch the regular crew, the trio, the three musketeers. There's no D'Artagnan in this one. I guess Chris could have been the D'Artagnan. But we're going to talk about the three following movies, right? We're going to talk about Watchmen, which was my pick. Brian's pick was... V for Vendetta. There he is. And, of course, Trey's pick was Constantine, his absolute favorite movie. So, that said, let's uh, let's jump into it. Who do you think uh, should go first? I think Watchmen should go first because it's probably... I think that's the first graphic novel of this batch, right? Who watches The Watchmen? Who watches The Watchmen? My man. Okay, Trey, you good with that? Or, or do you want uh, old Constantine to go first? No, y'all go for it. Okay. Best for last. Okay, so one thing, I'm super excited that we're obviously having this conversation, but for you two motherfuckers being the biggest Marvel fanboys, we're doing an all DC episode. Fuck you, suck my dick, let's do this, bitch. So, that being said, let's jump into some Watchmen. Just like you mentioned before, who watches The Watchmen? I picked this movie for two reasons. Obviously, when whenever we were going through the, uh, the aughts, as Trey likes to call it, the greatest movie during that time frame is going to be The Dark Knight. I don't think anybody can argue against that. That That is obviously the movie that is, I mean, that's probably the best movie ever made, including even against my current favorite, which I would say is Endgame. Endgame was, was super awesome for a lot of moments, mainly, I think, uh, Captain America's moment. But anyways, I picked Watchmen because I always thought that it was ahead of its time. And I had actually never read the graphic novel up until recent. And so my brother-in-law, shout out Quad. What, 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 did, you, what did you think? Because I've never read it either. What did you think about the graphic novel? So if you saw the movie first, then you're going to be skewed. Because the movie is 95% identical to the graph, graphic novel. 
and the graphic novel is absolutely awesome. I thought that the movie was awesome. And so there's there's really only one change to it, and that's that's one of the points I'll get into here in a little bit. But that was the main reason that I picked that movie. It was a he- kind of ahead of its time, right? A little bit darker. It was definitely that Zack Snyder feel. I'm actually super curious. They just announced that Justice League is going to end up getting the Snyder Cut. I don't know if y'all saw that. It's going to come out on HBO Max in 2021. That's officially confirmed. I knew you had to squeeze that in there somehow. You just had to squeeze squeeze it in there. Absolutely. This is the DC episode. DC episode, motherfuckers. Snyder Cut. Snyder Cut. Hey, but low-key, not so much what it's like or not like compared to the the movie, but for the audience that hasn't seen or read the Watchmen before, what is the, the sort of the basic premise of it? What's it about? The graphic novel or the movie, or I guess it doesn't really matter. It's basically a different world than ours, a slightly different uh, American history. So it starts you off in like, I think the 80s, 1980s. Boom, there it is. You have essentially what is a society that's full of superheroes. They're regularly, it's something that's a regular thing. Like they even intertwine within within the government, as you come to find out, like the comedian does in Dr. Manhattan. Dr. Manhattan is basically, if you can believe it, an OP version of Superman. Essentially, whenever Superman goes up into the sun and becomes like Superman 1 million prime, some fucking bullshit, I don't remember what it is, but he basically becomes omnipotent. I think he spends like 10,000 years in the sun. He just gains like all these powers. That's essentially what Dr. Manhattan is all the time. And funny enough, I'm actually reading Doomsday Clock right now, which is kind of like a sequel to the Watchmen novel or graphic novel, but but not. And so it basically is combining the Justice League and Watchmen. So far, it's pretty good. I'm on the third uh, on the third comic, and uh, it's it's super good. So I, I just I'm a big fan of crossover, so I'm I'm really enjoying it. To uh, back to the Watchmen, it's basically superheroes exist in this society, and it begins with kind of a mystery, right? You find out that the comedian, which is one of the superheroes, a very an older superhero, is murdered. And so it basically follows the path of my favorite character from Watchmen, Rorschach. Uh, he's essentially like almost a deranged Batman, and he has a, a Rorschach mask. And so it follows his kind of paranoia and you see him kind of unwinding and at the end of it you just get blown away about who the bad guy is but i think what i like the most about it is that these aren't your typical batman superman you know these like just godly figures that are untouchable they're they they have a very real human quality to them and if you've ever actually seen the boys on amazon prime I want to say they they're they're also a comic book. Um, don't quote me on that, but it's got that that they're flawed, right? That they're not just these Greek immortal gods, you know. That they're they've got human qualities to them too. So I think that's one of my favorite parts about it. And so when I watched The Watchmen again, who watches The Watchmen? I watch The Watchmen. Yeah, that's a corny joke, but whatever. So when I watched that is correct. <laughs> so when I watched it, uh, let me start off with the cast, man. It's it's. Got some great cast. Jackie Earl Haley, that's Rorschach. He played a phenomenal Rorschach, almost identical to the graphic novel. One of my other favorite characters is going to be Jeffrey Dean Morgan. While a smaller role, he does play a pivotal role in it. Again, he is the comedian. He's the one who gets uh, murdered, spoiler alert. And you're it's literally within the first two seconds of the, uh, of the movie. So I think uh, not that big of a spoiler, but kind of a spoiler. So it follows it follows Rorschach following his killer's plot and finding out who he is and 
what the ultimate goal was. Uh, another person that's in there that is just an absolute beauty playing Sally Jupiter, an older character, is uh, Carla Giugino. Mm, just she is just uh, she's just beautiful. Dark hair, colored eyes, absolutely gorgeous. Then there's also a young Malin Ackerman. She is a cutie patootie blonde. She's been in things such as White Castle, uh, as Brian pointed out the last uh, the last episode. Go ahead, Brian. I don't remember pointing that out, but I also, in this exact moment, wanted to point out that that was the movie that I remember her being in. So perfect. Good. I remember her in the uh, in the Heartbreak Kid. Did y'all ever watch that with uh, what's his name? Uh, Stiller. Stiller. Yeah, yeah. Ben Stiller. Yeah, ben oh, R.I.P. His dad, by the way. Yeah. She had alopecia in Happy Thank You More Please, directed by Josh Radner. Nice. The guy from How I Met Your Mother. Nice. There you go. So there's two movies that she's been in, plus Watchmen. Boom. Boom. So the cast right there is pretty good. It also has Patrick Wilson as Night Owl, which is kind of essentially a Batman. They really split Batman's character into two different parts. The crazy side of Batman, which is essentially Rorschach, and then the uh, tech, super rich, you know, buff dude. And that's, uh, that's Patrick Wilson. That's Night Owl. One of the things that I did not like about the movie versus the graphic novel, in the graphic novel, spoiler alert, eh, right? Um, in the graphic novel, at the end, you find out who the bad guy was, and it's it's not somebody who you think, but they end up releasing basically a giant squid on society that has psychic powers, and this fucking sounds crazy The more as, as I'm going further, but it releases it on New York City and it kills like 3 million people or something like that. So the hopes was to unite the entire world that was on the brink of nuclear war. It was basically U.S. and, and Russia, right? On the brink of nuclear war, this unites it. It's like, oh, we have a common enemy. Let's all be one, right? Well, in the movie, they switched and pivoted and kept it as just completely it being nuclear war so instead they essentially make it look like dr manhattan wiped out all these cities and killed just millions of people and was like hey if you don't get better then um i'm gonna come after you and finish the job type deal even though it wasn't him it was somebody else because he was in mars or something like that it also reminded me of is it in the dark night that um yeah, it is in The Dark Knight where after he beats the Joker, they needed Harvey Dent to be the, the martyr, the symbol. And so he's like, I'll take it, you know. Well, how, how does the line go? He's the... Uh, I, I don't know. The ending of The Dark Knight was the worst part of that movie. Let, okay, let me, let me stop you right here. Sure. What I've always wanted to know is I'm not a huge Watchmen fan of either the books or the movie because I, I never really read graphic novel Dude, and i didn't so good see the movie until yeah and again I, I understand that but the criticism's always been that oh they changed the ending it, it was it was dr manhattan as the fake bad guy rather than the the space squid mm -hmm, mm -hmm. why i why is it better that the threat is a an extra dimensional alien in the graphic novel than an omnipotent blue penis exposing God, which is what they, they made the bad guy out to be in the movie. Well, why is, why is the graphic novel ending so much better than the, the movie ending? Or, or do you have an opinion on that? 
I really wasn't bothered by it. I just, I'm a guy, I'm a source material guy. Like, they literally, for the movies, they literally set you up for the fucking slam dunk. I don't understand why sometimes, especially DC, has to go and be like, oh, we're going we're gonna to do something different. Now, I get like, okay, you can't really show this or it's hard to convey this, but I feel like that wouldn't be that difficult to convey. And so... And actually, they did a great job in Watchmen, the uh, HBO show. That is essentially a continuation of the graphic novel. They went with the, oh, it was a, it was a giant you know, alien squid that came down and blah, blah, blah. And it plays a whole part in, in the Watchmen show. Can we just start referring to the squid as Dr. Zoidberg? <laughs> That's pretty good. Okay. Let me ask, Irvin, let me ask you this. Yeah. Do you like the movie more, or did you like the HBO series more? Ooh, that is a really good question. Now, they're two completely different things, though. Those are the only kinds of questions that I ask. If that were only the truth. <laughs> they're two different things. I like them separately. I really do like the movie. I still think it's it's uh, it's a really good movie, and it's it's held up there. Um, and it still even carries over into this time. It's a slow movie. So if you're looking for a dark night, you know, fucking everything blowing up and, you know, Michael Bay as, uh, as Brian's favorite director, if you're looking for that type of, uh, movie, you're, you're not going to get that. This is a, a mystery. He's, you know, following the clues. There's some funny moments into it. There's some gory moments into it. There's some darkness, some, some realism, kind of the same. It's, it's that Zack Snyder feel, right? It's that same ambiance that you get from Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, that realism that you get into this same world. And one of the things that I noticed was in 2009, that's when this movie debuted, after Batman Begins, the Rorschach voice and the Batman Dark Knight voice are pretty much identical. So when you do watch this movie, pay attention to that. It's that darkness voice. Swear to me, you know, I noticed it and I was like, huh, I was like, that is oddly familiar. And I was like, oh, duh, that's, that's where that's from. It's from fucking Batman. I was like, oh, duh, it's a Zack Snyder movie. Illuminati confirmed. Illuminati is Batman. confirmed. <laughs> yeah, I, I still think it's a great movie. It's still rated pretty high on IMDb. You got a 7.6 rating, which isn't too bad considering that uh, people do shit on it. I think it didn't do as good as uh, it should have, but, you know, say la vie. I think it was a little bit ahead of its time. Had it come out maybe three to four years ago or even up to date now, I think I think it still would have uh, crushed it in the uh, box office there, guys. A 7.6 on IMDb is not a bad rating, but the only rating that I care about... Is the nerd nostalgia. The only rating that anyone should care about is how many Ewoks... Is this movie worth? Nerd nostalgia Ewoks. You remember, it's from one to nine. There's no such thing as 10 Ewoks because then you get to an ATAT. ATAT. Okay, fair enough. So. I'm glad you say ATAT instead of at at, 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 which only the worst, most hateful people <laughs> in the world say. Well, yeah. Remember, any th- if it's below three, it's actually Jar Jars. And so oh, one to right. three Jar Jars, and then four to nine Ewoks. So if I and then it's an ATAT that we someone, not me, someone needs to come up with a Ewok to stars to Jar Jar exchange rate. So that way we can always know on a day to day basis how many Ewoks or stars or Jar Jars is your movie worth. Bert Birdemic, clearly a two Jar Jar movie. The Room, not Room, starring 
Brie Larson, but The Room, obviously, a 70 Walk movie. Never seen it, so I can't, uh, I can neither confirm nor deny that. But okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, by him saying, someone, not me, he's basically saying, hey, Irvin, why don't you, uh, why don't you get on that, buddy? So, cool. One more for the project book there. Uh, how many Ewoks do I give this? I would give it eight Ewoks. It's, uh, I was I was I was right there. I was like seven or eight Ewoks. Yeah, I was just I I, I do the point it's five. Almost so I'm a like, perfect Ewok movie. I'm like e- e- it's it's really it's really good. I like it. I really enjoy it. Even as like I'm not a fan of slow paced movies, I enjoy this movie. I I really do. It could use a little bit more boobs in there. Uh, from old girl, what's her name? Uh, Malin. Malin, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or hell, I would have taken Carlos too. But uh, aside from that, I mean, it's it's a solid movie. It's a good plot. Follows the uh, the graphic novel again almost to the T. I bought the uh, extended cut. I forgot what it's called. It's something specific. It's like I don't know, extended director's cut or some some bullshit like that. But it uh, it gives you in the graphic novel there is a comic, uh, Tales of the Black Freighter, and in the movie the extended cut version it's like an extra twenty minutes and it shows you that and it's Gerard Butler's voice and it's the the tales of this pirate and like what he does and blah blah blah. And so it's it's a comic within a comic. They put that in this movie, and so I think I appreciated it that much more. So I'll rate that movie a solid eight Ewoks out of nine. That's a lot of fucking Ewoks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's all I got to say about that. Lieutenant Diane. Trey, Trey, do you got any thoughts on Watchmen, or, or have you ever watched it or yeah. read it? Or I, I have not read it, but I have seen the movie, and I have seen the tiniest, tiniest bit of the series. And I've watched it. I've actually watched it a couple of times over the over the course of, you know, years. But um, I would say at least twice, maybe three times with probably not paying attention to the third time I watched it. But yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't want to say it borrows, but it pulls from a lot of different areas like like Garvin was explaining. And, you know, you can definitely see, you know, the, the kind of ode to the Batmans and even a little bit to the Wonder Women, Wonder Woman mm-hmm. kind of ideas and... It, you know, it was a little bit like the stuff that's based in the past. So like in the 40s and 50s, that post-World War II surge of superheroes that were around where they're kind of showing them all in like the photographs and they just kind of dwindle over time. So it kind of feels like um, The Incredibles to me. Mm-hmm. Like in, in that, I mean, obviously a lot, lot, lot darker of a version of The Incredibles, but to where, you know, this is a, they're a dying, dying breed. Right. This is the the kind of the last couple of hurrahs of these superheroes. And that's a cool I mean, it's a cool topic. Like it's been done several times, obviously. I mean, at least twice with you've got Watchmen and then you've got The Incredibles. Um, And then there's probably a couple more. So, you know, if you can think of any, let me know. But um, that's kind of an interesting stance, kind of an interesting topic to broach um, for a story. And, And I think it does a really good job of that. Um, it's, it's dark enough. It's, it's well-written and it's, it's filmed cool. Like it's, you know, it's very, what is it? Like, it's not neo-noir, but it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's just kind of noir, whatever it is. The dark tones. The style is Snyder noir. There you go. There you go. go. Perfect. 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 Snyder noir. Yeah. I like that. And, uh, so that, I mean, and that's cool and it, and it fits, it fits the story. It fits the, the city that it's set in. You know, mm-hmm. and, and the era and everything like that. And so, I, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, we're not going to get eight Ewoks, but I'd give it seven Ewoks for sure. There you go. 
One thing that uh, that that I liked that it did a couple things that that I noted. I forgot that I had taken down some notes. Um, I covered pretty much everything that that I that I would have gone through, but uh, they do a really good job. And this is for for you, Brian, since and any other fans that have never watched it before. They do a great job of Easter eggs throughout the movie, indicating who actually killed the comedian. And once you once you see it, you're like, oh shit, I should have known that. Mm. And so it's uh, it's really good. Even right off the gate, they they do it. And then another thing that they do is the um, like famous pieces. Like the the one that stood out to me was there's I don't know if you remember in history class seeing the image of that sailor kissing the girl. Well, since this is a society of superheroes that have, or actually it started off as heroes, and then with the birth of Doctor Manhattan, it evolved into superheroes, and so. There's an image of one of the former, I, I don't, I forgot, super heroines, I guess, kissing the girl instead of uh, the sailor kissing the girl. And so that's the famous picture. And so I was like, that's pretty fucking cool that they did that and like switched, you know, our world and, and, and combined, combined it and kind of switched it up a little bit. And then another thing they did really great, which uh, I think this is a Snyder thing, is the, the music playing the music at uh, fucked up scenes they did just a really good job like you're like why are you playing this song you're like okay um, but I but I really enjoyed that as well so, so I've never seen no I've re- I've never read the graphic novel but I have seen the the Snyder cut or whatever it's the the one that actually had the black freighter graphic mm-hmm. novelization or whatever in the movie so it was like it was like seven hours long it was like the longest movie I've ever seen it was pretty long yeah I you take a graphic novel like The Watchmen and, or I guess it's just Watchmen, that had something to say, and I, I couldn't tell you what exactly it was. I know it had to do with authoritarian regimes and Reaganism and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the threat war. of nuclear holocaust. Mm-hmm. And then you adapt it, and this may be just more of a critique on, on Zack Snyder as a director. I think Zack Snyder is a phenomenal cinematographer i think that if you look if you it's it's like taking a, a really pretty girl who's got who's just dumb as shit if you just muted every Zack snyder movie and just watched it you would have a great time but if you take the mute off you hear the stuff that gets said and you're like oh what and the reason is that Zack Snyder has a great attention to beautiful spectacle and visuals, and you see that in every one of his movies, but he doesn't have a lot to say. And so why why are we in 2000, you said it came out in 2009, why are we in 2009 mm-hmm, talking mm-hmm. about the threat of nuclear Armageddon? Uh, it's not, I mean, it, that was not the pressing dilemma on everyone's mind at the time. You know, the the threat becomes Dr. Manhattan as this omnipotent god. Maybe that's an allegory for the United States' role in the world. I don't know. But you take something that has so much to say, so so much... I don't want to say philosophical because that sounds nerdy, but you've got some something that has such a, a strong message. And again, I'm about to go into V for Vendetta, which... That has as much problems as the Watchmen adaptation. No, get in there. Well, and also you have to consider that they're both Alan Moore. You know that he he fucking has touched both those pieces. He's touched them like well, uh, 
Yeah, and, and, and again, he's he's just a radical guy. And again, I've never read V for Vendetta, mm-hmm. but I, I look, I, I've I've listened to the what's the difference on both of these adaptations, and they they essentially say Alan Moore had a very radical, a very specific vision, and the Wachowskis and Zack Snyder basically gave us the cookie cutter Walmart great value. <laughs> what's the ATB version? Hill Country Fair. Country Fair. Hill Country Fair version of those stories. And there's nothing wrong with that per se, but the 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 only the the only thing I'll say like against that, like where where you're going into the where you're saying like, okay, why Zack Snyder did you why was this the you know, the focus or whatever, the the big threat is that it was really close to the source material that well, was published well, sure. in nineteen eighty six and eighty seven. And that, you know, we're in the heart exactly. of we're in the heart of the Cold War. So it's like you that that was what was pressing then and that's what Alan Moore wrote. And so he, to to hold to that, I mean and, and it wasn't like he said, Okay, yeah, we're gonna we're, you know, we're going to make this where they're superheroes from the 80s and we're going to be publishing this and or we're going to be filming this in 2009. So we're going to be no, they flash back to the 40s and they set everything in the 80s, which it's fine. Like, I mean, you're st- sticking to source material and I, that's fair. Like you just hold to what's the big bad of the era. And that's how you set that stage. But, but you know, you guys have heard me bitch about this regarding the Star Wars sequels and prequels and all that. Mm-hmm. And it's that we when we make sequels when we make adaptations we do a shitty job of it because we say excuse me we say okay we're gonna re we're gonna do a prequel to star wars let's just remember everything we did good in star wars or we do a sequel to star wars and we're just gonna jerk ourselves off thinking about how cool star wars was when the reason why star wars was cool was because of all the all the cool stuff that went into it to make it powerful and so you take something like Watchmen, which is about Cold War politics, it's about Cold War concerns, and you bring it into a post-9-11 world where there's no more Soviet Union and where China's not really ascendant yet, you've got different shit to worry about. And so don't, don't bring in modern concerns and apply it to a Cold War world. Say, hey, look, what are we dealing with? What are we dealing with in 2009? We're dealing with the, the threat of... Al Qaeda. We're dealing with this this like fear of of religious based terrorism, and if that's if that's the thing that superheroes are having to fight, what are what would Alan Moore? What would the Watchmen have to say about this today? And, and that's that that's why in some ways I think that the HBO series was a better adaptation because they said okay, let's fast forward from Alan Moore's Watchmen universe into 2019 we're still dealing with racial inequality we're still dealing with all this bullshit that we thought would be cured a decade three decades ago and it's not what does that look like with a world of superheroes a world of, of weirdo heroes it looks like this that's that's kind of what i wish Zack snyder could do and so instead of Zack snyder saying let's do superman but broody if he did well, what what does a what does a god look like in two thousand and thirteen? What does someone who can literally fly and is bulletproof? What does that look like in two thousand thirteen? I don't know. I, again, I, I see it as a missed opportunity. I see that 
we feel constrained by the source material, but also beholden to it. And that's, 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 I think the worst part of our adaptations. That's my two cents. Or it can be the mm-hmm. worst part. Like, I mean, there's, there's certain things that I, I guess because, it, uh, okay, let me, let me try and phrase this. If you didn't, if you didn't even give the source material a nod, meaning that the ideas behind that you know created these characters and created these situations and everything in the source material was like the big movements of the day and you just kind of ignored those and you just told like more of a localized story then you kind of lose some of that grandeur that made that source material great in the first place that that message that it, like you know like x-men was started as kind of this the tolerance stuff right you know the racism and the sexism and the like that was the that was the idea behind it um and why stan lee and those guys started writing that stuff back in the you know what was it the 70s or 80s i guess it was the 80s um and that's why they put together this team and if you don't like if you just take that away and try and modernize it even though that's still in existence today and you take it and you modernize it then you lose some of that grandeur some of that those driving elements in the story so you while updating it may be a great idea it's just sometimes it's ignored and that's a bad thing Um, okay so so no this is actually really interesting and let's 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 fuck the rest of the podcast idea i i think this is really interesting because take x-men for example the basis of xavier and magneto were oh my gosh we're turning this from a DC episode into a, Ma- a Marvel episode. This is amazing. So it just take, flipped. Take, it just it flipped. Just, we flipped the script. <laughs> Disney just bought out DC, guys. That's what happened tonight. Hey, motherfuckers. I just need y'all to remember who the actual producer is. Y- y'all think this is uh, switched over to, to X-Men. And stop. Okay, but... but you gonna, 38 you're going to learn early. today. Yeah, you're going to learn today, <laughs> okay, little boy. Okay, but, 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 okay but, but, but for real, think about it. Xavier was Martin Luther King Jr. and Magneto is Malcolm X. And so when that when X-Men originated, that was those were the leaders of the time of that that political that that movement of inequality. And so it was a way of expressing a timely concern. Those those leaders are gone, and we have had time to mourn them, and we've had time to memorialize them, we've had time to make biopics about them. So if you want to make a 2001 X-Men, you can absolutely do a period piece about what it's like to have Professor Xavier in the 1960s, and hilariously, we did that in the, what, the fourth or fifth X-Men prequel? Right. But wouldn't it be wouldn't it just be amazing to do... If you could go back in time and do a 2001 X-Men movie, and again, here's what here's what Brian Singer did really well in that movie was he took the the racial element and said, "Okay, that was that was a big concern in the 1960s. Now what we're going to do when, when X-Men was originally conspired or or built and said, "Okay, what's one of the pressing social issues now? Well, it's it's kind of the gay rights issue." And so that's that was pervasive throughout the X-Men movies. So wouldn't it have been cool if instead of instead of basing this movie that was very thinly veiled 
an allegory about gay rights and coming out of the closet of your mutant powers instead say well who are the who are the modern 2001 gay rights leaders who are the people who are talking about this what does the conversation now look like and to to really and, and you can still have Professor Xavier as a historical figure. You can still have Magneto because, I mean, goddamn, Magneto's dead by this point. Xavier are dead by this point because they've either been assassinated or they've just gotten too old to be effective. That That's what I wish we could do with our adaptations is instead of doing the prequel trilogy, do what Blade Runner 2049 did, which was here was here's our past and here's what it looks like 30 years later. In this universe, here's what it looks like 40 years later in this universe. Here's what X-Men looks like after 50, 60 years of failed attempts to honor what Professor Xavier, what Martin Luther King Jr. wanted to do. That's That would be a cool adaptation to me. So you're thinking like, no, no Bruce Wayne. It's got to be Terry McGinnis or someone completely different. Um, the Joker. I mean, so basically, what they did with like Batman Beyond, where you have this is this is the universe, and Bruce Wayne is an old man, and the Joker is dead, and everybody else is in prison, and you know these are the things that have happened, and this is the shitty stuff that happened, and now this is the new class taking over, right? So it's true to the source material in the fact that it is there is still a Batman, and it is still Gotham City. These things did happen, and these things did exist. But now they are gone and we have moved on from there. And maybe there's a throwback of some of those characters, such as a Bruce Wayne as an old man. Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right, because think about it. The, the Bruce Tim adaptation is perfect because the animated series, the original, the 1990s version, was all about this kind of timeless uh, art deco Batman. And then the Batman Beyond was here's what Batman looks in the future, in the in the time that Terry McGinnis comes around and I'm thinking that's that's really cool because the the shit that we were worried about in the 1990s was the the massive homicide rate in New York City and all the Chicago murder rates and all that kind of stuff that's obviously still a huge concern but it's not it's not the front of the consciousness the way that it was back then you think about the, the Ninja Turtles movies, and we were concerned about urban youths turning to drugs and pop music and shit like that, and then wanting to go out and steal stereos and stab people in the dark. We don't think about that anymore, so we need superheroes that reflect that, and we still keep make, going back to, and then Batman beat up the guy wearing like gang affiliated clothing and like like he's still fighting villains from Michael Jackson movies. Right. So okay. So no, where no, does Nolan the, did where no, does that Nolan did put, change it up a little bit and did the whole organized crime thing, but that's fine. Right. Or terrorist acts. Right. But um so where does that put V for Vendetta? Because um it's dystopian. It's got some serious, I mean, some serious over overlaying themes about, and, and actually may even make more sense today because of the crisis and things that we're going through now where, where rights are being somewhat infringed upon, um, you know, 
mandated stay-at-home orders and um, requirements for face masks and things like that, like that slippery slope that where they ended up, because their their whole thing was, is, and this was something that I remembered from that movie, which which I I love, was that like, you know, it's set in England, but they talk about America as a wasteland and China as a wasteland because of whatever happened nuclear war or or chemical warfare or whatever that they just like they gloss over it in the movie for sure just about hey this is you know this is what happens when you don't stand in line and do do what you're supposed to be doing and then that's why you got somebody coming and putting a black bag over your head and ripping you out like because it's dystopian and it because I think that fear is inherent in all societies for a totalitarian regime to come in and take over and basically eliminate your rights as a as a free people. Like that kind of stands the test of time, in my opinion. And and since it is set in a dystopian kind of alternate timeline, alternate universe, right? This is what's happened. This is what the world has become. It sticks to the source material, of course, but it does it well, and it's and it's still relevant even today. I mean, would you agree with that? See, so having never read V for Vendetta and only having seen the movie, my understanding again. This is this is my general summary. Spoiler warning. Whatever our phrase is for that. The original is that, and again, it more or less tracks with the movie. Is that the British government manufactures a biological crisis and then uses that biological crisis to consolidate power and basically start a super powerful fascist regime. V, the protagonist, is just a fucking anarchist and is skeptical of all government and thinks that that all politicians should be brought down and humbled. And the movie takes that general premise and makes it a, a specific indictment of the Bush administration of the Patriot Act, of surveillance on folks, and, and the homophobia of the new conservatives and all that crap. So is, is that a good adaptation? In some ways, yeah, because it, V for Vendetta took the source material, which is all government is bad. Again, it's it's basically a graphic version of Animal Farm. Animal Farm was an indictment of Stalinism, but it was also basically an indictment of all government. And that all government tends towards corruption and tends towards authoritarianism. And you you took that basic premise and you said, okay, what does that look like today? It looks like Bush Patriot Act nonsense i i like it i think it's great because it's got hugo weaving it's got one of the the best voices on earth mm-hmm. mr Easily. anderson mr frodo it, it's got that going for it it's got a really compelling set of villains and a lot of good revenge that comes out of that movie and it is kind of silly in a lot of ways like how did he amass all of this wealth? How did he get all of this stuff? Where is all of his skin? A lot of questions are, un- are unanswered, but
but it's also kind of just a beautiful fairy tale. So it's a, I, I love the movie. I love V for Vendetta because it's a good, timely adaptation. It's it, it You may watch V for Vendetta in 2030, in 2020, and say, oh, this doesn't really apply. We've got new shit to worry about. But for a, a 2006, I want to say, adaptation, it was pretty it was pretty good because it took the original idea and it, it said, what does that look like during the Bush administration? What does that look like with the, the Bush-Blair mashup? I like it. I like it. I, would, I, I, wa- I, I think it's worth a watch. I think it's a good idea. It's good of what adaptations good could be. And I think it's one of the last great Wachowski movies. Obviously, I still like Cloud Atlas. Everything else. Oh, geez, yeah. Guys. Kind of take it. Out. Quick little note on that. Obviously, another Alan Moore, another Alan Moore story. He uh, did not want any credit with this movie because they had botched a couple of his other works, like uh, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which we've discussed before. I didn't know was actually a comic. I don't know if y'all knew that, but I didn't know it was a comic. I thought they were just borrowing from, from literature, which obviously they are. He said he refused to watch the movie because they fucked up some of his other works and was like, I don't even want to be paid royalties on this. So I'm like, man, what a fucking, what a good, what, what, what a dick. Kind of a shitty thing to do and say, you know. I mean, how many how many of his properties have been made into movies though? So he's not hurting. So he yeah. can he can take that he can take that artistic yeah. high road, yeah. and tell him to fucking get out of here. Okay, but but let me play devil's advocate for a second. If you made an artistic work, wouldn't you wouldn't you rather than have someone, and you'll take their paycheck, obviously. Wouldn't you rather someone? Take your work and say, let me let me do a facelift on this. Let me big make her tits a little bigger. Let me uh, cut out some of that cellulite in the image and then do something else with it. Wouldn't you just want to talk to that person that wants to take your art and change it and just say, go make your own fucking story. Go make your own Flash Gordon. Fair. I mean, fair. But again, at the end of the day, it's... It's been it's Hollywood, baby. Oh, no, no, yeah, no. It's he been... sold the rights were gone. He he sold them. He said, "You go make this movie." Yeah, and then it became whatever it was. But at the same time, I I'm I'm sympathetic to him being dismissive of it because it's like it's not my story anymore. It's 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 the Wachowski story story, and I don't care to to watch that story. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, but yeah, There's it's, no it's way one he of those things. But they get they get so press, pressured into it. It's like. Yeah. You know, the the first thing you read a book and you're like, I wonder when the movie's coming out. Because, like, nothing original comes from, well, not nothing, but not many things not original often, come, yeah, yeah come from, from, directly from movies. And usually and, when and it does, the future was an original story. Shit. The Matrix was an original story. I mean, yeah, there is, but what I'm saying is that, that a, like, a knee-jerk reaction is like, okay, how would this look in moving picture as I'm reading, like, a novel series or as I'm reading a comic book or or whatever i mean there's a you know plenty plenty of stories that i would be like yeah that would be super dope and like i can think of a thousand different ways that it can be done and then you know that one thousand and one way is how it's done and it's awful so dark tower <laughs> <laughs> which you still haven't seen yeah yet. i was like how can you criticize it? It? 
I, I will no, criticize yeah. it till the end of time. Don't have to see it. Don't want it. Don't want it. Don't put that on me, Ricky Bobby. Okay, I'm but gonna. Isn't, isn't time a flat circle? I need to, <laughs> yeah. I need to get a drinky boo. Actually, no. We need his Ewok score. Oh, V for Vendetta. Uh, I would give V for Vendetta today in 2020 on day 197 under the dome. I'm just kidding. This is like, shit, when did we go under the dome? I went under the dome March 12th. So we're now day... 60? 68. 68. We're day 68 under the dome. I'd give V for Vendetta... Probably seven and a half Ewoks. Yeah, okay. That's pretty good. Seven and a half Ewoks. It's not a perfect it's not a perfect movie. Yeah. But it's a good movie. I would watch it I, I, I have watched it again. I would watch it again. I would encourage anyone who hasn't seen it to watch it. Yeah. If only because you I need get to, to watch Hugo Weaving say awesome shit all the time. Yeah. I need I need to rewatch ding, it. I also ding, have ding. the graphic novel. Yeah. So the last one that that I watched was Constantine. And so from an from an overall perspective, I love I love the property, I love the franchise or yeah, the property, I guess is what it would be. Uh and have for a really long time. And that being said, there are over 300 issues um in the original series, and they just restarted the series again in November of 2019, and hey, it's, uh, it's still ongoing. Hey, Trey, what did uh, what did your uh, two very best friends on this uh, podcast get you for uh, for your birthday? Why don't you go ahead Action. and uh, tell, uh, tell, uh, tell, uh, tell uh, them? No, not two very best friends in the podcast. Two very best two friends, very best friends in life. Period. <laughs> Fair. Touche. Um, except for Anne. Except for Anne and Chris and his two beautiful children. His brother, except for all those people, fuck them. My friends, my friends got me um, a graded copy of Hellblazer number one from January of 1988, and it is in very, very good condition. And it's in the nice, pretty plastic holder and everything. It's dope. It's really, really, really cool. Um, and it's a cool cover anyway like for a first for a first uh, of a series um it's just it's very 80s um like cool cool cover anyway don't worry guys we'll put uh, it we'll, we'll put it up on our social media make sure that you follow us on nerd.nostalgia on instagram that's where you'll see it and then we'll also be on nerd nostalgia podcast on youtube on facebook nerd nostalgia all together on tiktok continue trey by the way, quick interruption. That's what we got Trey. Trey got me for my birthday this amazing, it's truly the most thoughtful gift I've ever gotten. It's a mug full of Shakespearean insults. I love it. It's got all the best insults. Not so much brain as earwax. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> and then the way I honored that gift was I immediately fucking shattered it. <laughs> yep. Like a big asshole. Just, just found like that. 24 hours later. Aww. It was pathetic. 
Hilarious. But it's going to yeah. get fixed. And I'm going to drink coffee out of it. Oh, yeah. These guys have day. birthdays really close by together. We should have we should have led with that, guys. Um, yeah. I Irving also got, got me for my birthday nothing. A ZJ. He says it's nothing. What's but a ZJ? If you don't know what it is, you can't it's, afford it. You can't afford it. <laughs> it's $15. <laughs> <laughs> it's a friend yeah. rate. It is a friend rate. Um, yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt so, there. So anyway, super so back, awesome back gift. To it. Yep, yep. Um, 1988 to uh, 2013, and then it, and then restarted again in in, in 19. So 300 uh, in the original series, uh, original run, I should say. And so we'll say probably around 200 something whenever Constantine the movie came out, right? Mm-hmm. That's a lot, a lot, a lot of material, mm-hmm. and is the, and is one of the problems that that kind of befalls a lot of movies. Uh, instead of going the television show route, which they did try after this, and it didn't last very long, but um, they tried to pack a whole hell of a lot into one, you know, hundred eighty minute, whatever it was, movie. Do you remember, they, do you remember who you watched? Constantine with in the theaters. I do, and I remember the I remember the theater, uh, the dollar the dollar cinema, um, and I don't think I was old enough to like be able to get in because I think I was maybe seventeen, sixteen or seventeen. Yeah, uh, to be to be young again. To be young again, and and walk in, and your feet stick to the floor because they haven't cleaned it since the nineteen eighties. That's every good movie theater. <laughs> One speaker warbles the whole time. There's lines running through the screen. Anyway, um, but yeah, it was with you, and I can't remember who else. All else was there. I think I think Jake was with us. Maybe and Jake. Maybe Corey. I don't know about Corey. I don't think Corey. Maybe Nathan. I, mm, it was 06, though. So I, I. Who who what fourth? Per- I think there was four people. It was you. Uh, you, me, Jake, and the, I thought there was a fourth. Maybe it was just the three of us. I'm not sure. But anyway, but I do remember going to watch it and enjoyed it then and enjoyed it the rewatch again. But yeah, there's a whole, whole lot of things that they did different. Keanu Reeves was cast as John Constantine, which is not a bad casting because I like Keanu Reeves a lot. However, John Constantine for the source material is blonde and is British. And wears a brown trench coat and not all black, like Keanu does in the movie. Um, it's set in L.A. versus, which Constantine's kind of set everywhere, so that's not that's not really anything. But he lives in L.A., which is not that's not the case. That's not true to the um, uh, to the source material where he's from London. But the uh, um, the Arrowverse Constantine references. Uh, John, or I was about to call him John Wick Constantine, but basically that's correct. <laughs> but, but basically that's right. Yeah. He uh, he. There's refer- a guy with dark hair. Yeah. There's a guy with dark hair lives in L.A. Calls himself John Constantine. Yep. In this un- in this universe, yeah. No, and, and that I I did know that. Like I I have I'm not big in Arrow, but uh, I did know I did know that 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 there was a reference made in the in the multiverse over there, which is pretty funny. Yeah, uh, and pretty kind of a cool spin. Yeah, you got that. you got to you got to give it to people who who to the nerd to those nerds that were writing that. Granted, I think they they did a shitty job that for that one for that uh, crossover, but the fact that they gave that nod, I was like, 
Respect, dog. Respect. They also did the greatest crossover ever and did uh, Grant Gusson's The Flash with Etra Miller's The Flash from Justice League. I, I think I'd seen that scene. Oh, yeah. When I saw that, I didn't know that it was happening. It blew my fucking mind. I was like, fuck, yes. Yes. But yeah, uh, continue, continue. And so, but it has a, um, like I said, it has a great cast. Uh, you've got um, Keanu Reeves uh, as John Constantine, and then you've got Rachel Wise, um, who was all over the place in the... Two, the two roles she played in that movie. That's that's very true. She played a set of twins. Um, We've actually referenced Rachel Wise's boobies before, so mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, all of our fans mm-hmm. should be she very was, familiar. She was coming. She was coming off of like the Mummy and all that good stuff. So she was she was a hot commodity at that time, and I don't think I've seen her a whole whole lot since then. Or at least in like stuff that I watch. I mean, she may be in some chick flicks or something, but have, okay. Two two weird kind of esoteric movies with Rachel Wise. Have you all seen The Lobster? No. Red Lobster? Just the Zoidberg. Lobster. Mm. Zoidberg. <laughs> it's got Colin Farrell and Rachel Wise and some other fucking people. It's got the Academy Award winner that I remember from Peep Show, but I can't remember her name. Anyway, go watch that movie. It's amazing. Got Rachel Wise. The other one is not as good a movie it's called the fountain have y'all seen that nine for mm. no try i don't think so the fountain the, no okay y'all may have heard of it the fountain came out in like 2009 10 ish who cares it stars hugh jackman rachel wise and that's it i think and it's about Okay, let me think about this. There's the space tree. There's the conquistador. There's the modern times. I think there's a fourth timeline. It's about four timelines of Hugh Jackman being in love with and trying to save Rachel Wise from something. And fundamentally failing each time. And it seems like a like it sounds like a really cool movie, right? It's not. It's not very good. <laughs> Fun fact: she's also going to be a Black Widow. Is she going to be a Black Widow? Yeah. Did not know that. Yep. Black Widow, Widow, the first female Marvel superhero movie that's not starring Brie Larson, coming out in <laughs> February of twenty twenty seven. God, right. I hate Brie Larson. Thanks, Rona. Thanks, Rona. Um, so yeah, Rachel Wise uh, again, the very attractive, and was doing a whole lot of stuff at that time. And then you had young Shia LaBeouf before he went batshit crazy as Chaz, and um, he played the same character that he played in pretty much every movie until he went crazy. And that's all you need to know about that. Just frantic, like, yeah, man, I hate, come on, I gotta get in here and I gotta do this and I just want to be Sam Witwicky in Constantine. 
Yes, exactly. Nice. Do I get credit for remembering his name from the Transformers averse? You mm-hmm. get you you lose points. I believe that's called the Bay averse. Do I lose points to House Hufflepuff? Um, and then you had uh, Tilda Swinton, who played a angel. And we'll just leave it at that. And I thought that that was a really good casting. Um, because, I mean, you think about, like, the, the the thing that comes to mind with Tilda Swinton now is going to be, what is it, the, uh, the one, what is the one from, from uh, Doctor Strange? The ancient one? Ancient one. one. Yeah, ancient one. Um, and so that's what comes to mind now is the ancient one. And so like bald and everything like that. And you kind of wonder is the ancient one male or female and nobody knows and nobody really cares. And, and so that, that's kind of the same character, um, with a little more thrown in there, uh, for her character in Constantine. And then you had, um, what's his name? Peter Stormare, Stormare, Stomari, as Stomier. I don't know. Uh, he is um, a, the Swedish actor, and he's been in like freaking everything: Fargo, Constantine. He was in John Wick. He was in Bad Boys. He plays like the crazy Russian. In was he the movie. dad? Was he the the dad in John Wick? He was Chapter Two, John Wick Chapter Two. Oh. And then, like, you look at his IMDb, it's, it's got, like, 45 injuries. Like, he's done a ton of movies. But he played Lucifer in Constantine. And it is oh, one that of, guy, yeah. Yes. It is the, one of my favorite, ad, like, adaptations of Lucifer ever. And probably will ever be. As mm. many things that were wrong with the Constantine movie, that was it one is. thing that they hit out of the park was his portrayal of of Lucifer. Now, of course, everyone, all of the naysayers about Constantine are going to bring up that particular scene that is at the end of the movie um, about how he comes back. <clears throat> Spoilers. Um, it makes perfect sense to me. Like, I don't understand why people harp on it because, so, so bad. Be, because he cut his wrists and that's what killed him and then he made the sacrifice but then Lucifer puts his hands in his chest and removes the lung cancer which that wasn't ultimately what killed him that's what people freak out about but I'm just like that it's the it's the it's the visuals of doing that and giving him more and so my thought is is just giving him more time to fuck up right yeah exactly because if he just brings him back to life and then he dies the next day of lung cancer then he's probably still going to go to heaven yeah, and that's Tra- the, Trace had Trace know. had 15 years to anticipate the I mean, same complaint I've made I, for 15 years, which is yep. I, you knew I knew it was coming. Knew it was he coming. Anti- he anticipated. Uh, it, it took it took him 15 years to come up with that defense. But it, it, Jesus Christ! But it's it it's it's sound. That's that's exactly what makes sense to me. Like, why wouldn't you believe? Oh, I just took out all the tar out of his lungs, and why wouldn't he just like you know? Grace his over his fucking wrists. Yeah, that doesn't right. that doesn't make sense. Right, it's easy. Yeah, 
Don't be a stupid, so, a stupid. Because so. Satan can only remove tar from lungs. He can't fix cut wrists, you idiot. That's not canonical in the idiot. universe. Ugh! Idiot. Stupid. Do you not even read Hellblazer so. or Hellraiser or Flelftraser or the Lando <laughs> Blaudrizian story? God Ooh, damn it. there it is. Irvin. There it is. Smell, smell I was like, fuck, really are we going to go a full episode without them bringing it up? Never. Nope. There it is. Hey, um, who played Lucifer again? Was it, uh, oh man, God, what is his name? Peter Stormary. Uh, no. Mari. Mayor, Stormare. I don't know how to pronounce it. I think you. And I apologize. I really like the actor. I just don't know Jackie how to pronounce his name. Jackie Chan? <laughs> Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee. Bruce Jackie Chan Lee. Don Choi. And I. So. So I get. So I got stuck on, you know, Peter Stormare, Stormare, whatever his name is. But Papa Midnight in Constantine was played by. Um, Jimon Hansu, he was. I mean, he's been in a bunch of stuff too. He was uh, m- one of the more recent things. He was in Guardians of the Galaxy. He's the black guy at the beginning that chases down Star Lord, right? Oh yeah, yeah, like that dude. He's a real good actor. And so, so I, I, he's a great actor, and and he does a great job as Papa Midnight. I thought he was really just a cool character, like portrayed really well within, um, within the movie. But I was steering away from like bringing him up because I have no idea how to say his name. <laughs> and so anyway, the consensus seems to be that his first name is pronounced Hyman. No. J A I M I N with the D being silent. Oh wow. So it's like so it's like Django. The Django. The D is silent. The D is silent. What a great So movie. yeah. Again, great actor great portrayal uh, and and great movie i love the movie i mean again i'm a huge fan of the source material it's it's one of those things that it it doesn't have it's very localized the stories are all localized yeah they're they're it starts out in the 80s when you're reading the comic books and it's like you know it's got a bunch of yuppies in it and it's got like you know the drug use problem and it's got i mean it's it it does touch on those social topics but it's john constantine's view of the world right so it's not like he's looking at this huge political arc or or these big winds of change and everything like that he just these are the things that he interacts with in his world and it happens to be like demons dressed as yuppies and but it's it's such a classical good versus evil arc that's been around forever right angels versus demons Mm -hmm. Uh, demons bad angels good now he doesn't necessarily take that approach he just thinks he's kind of like a you know anything or authoritarian just get get out of here like i don't want you know i I, there's no i don't want you know you to tell me what my destiny is i don't want any of that stuff i'm not going to one of these other places because i think they both suck and so he's again it's his view of the world but with very classical kind of good versus evil things, and so you you're you can touch on some of the political strife at the time, and so you can kind of you basically would drop him. This is his personality. And you drop his personality into any context. He's going to have an opinion. 
it's going to influence him, but it at the end of the day it doesn't change anything. And so th- this is the this is the problem at hand. This is the way that I'm going to handle it, and to everything be damned. Which, to me, kind of is almost like a, um, which they've gotten away from this a little bit, but is is like a James Bond. Hmm. So you can continually update James Bond to fight the Nazis and to fight the Ruskies and then fight a terrorist organization and then fight Spectre and then fight this and then fight that. And he's going to always stay kind of the same. His personality is always going to shine through regardless of what the threat is at that time. And it's, you know, you, you think about, you know, from Russia with love, obviously that's you've got KGB with a little bit of Spectre influence and um, stuff like that, but it's okay. I'm fighting the KGB, and then you get into more modern stuff, and they just they just update. Like it's like Lashif is this guy, and he works for a terrorist organization. Who cares what the terrorist organization is? There's always a terrorist it, organization. It, it right? was it's always somebody behind and it, and then it became Damn. Spectre. It was it's ill-defined, right? So that like those two characters again, two of my favorite characters. Uh, you know, one from literature and movies and popular culture. And then, you know, from comic books being John Constantine. They're kind of the same in the way, very lone wolf, operate in my own way. This is the way things are going to go. This is how I am. I'm not changing. Fuck you. But one is a secret agent and the other one is a magician. Trey, yep. you, you were on a Bond kick for a while. How many of the Bond novels huh. have you gone through? I don't want to say all of them, but a vast majority. I think I don't think I have very many left to read. I'll have to look. I'll have to look, but a lot. And and what was funny, and I think we've had this discussion before, that my favorite James Bond movie is From Rush with Love with Sean Connery. It's my favorite movie, and it was one of my least favorite books. Really? Hmm. It was, yeah. It just and I and I def I definitely watched the movie before did, I read the did book. Did you not like all the build up for the Bond specific assassin who then was pretty easily dispatched? Because I thought that I was kind of so. silly. Yeah, thrown off a train, right? Yeah, he was the mistaken. he was the sm- I guess he was a Smirsh assassin. Smirsh. Smirsh. Yeah, Smirsh. Played played yeah, by the same actor who played Quint in Jaws. What was his name? Um, hmm. Oh, what was that actor's name? Shit, I think Red's in his name somewhere. I hate myself. I hate you too. No, you don't. Red Grant. Wait, what <laughs> was his name? I love you. Red, Red Grant. Grant. So Trey, most important deep question: How many Ewoks? Does Constantine get? Mm-hmm. 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 I would say eight Ewoks. Out of nine? So, out of nine? Mm-hmm. I, we're all right there, guys. We're all right there in our in our ratings. Even uh, Brian was the lowest. Ewok. Which it, it it could it could have been nine, if if they had just it, died. It was and Keanu his hair blonde. That would have done it. And then may, maybe. Had they Maybe not half. switched from Doctor Manhattan to Doctor 
to Keanu Reeves. I think they'd have been fine. If if Keanu Reeves had had a bigger holy water grenade launcher, that was the my favorite part of that whole movie was the was holy cool. water grenade <laughs> launcher. That would have been a ninety walks movie. Done. Done. Nice. Or if Shia LaBeouf had been able to had to take two shots on the water tank instead of fitting that big ass cross through one shotgun blast into a water tank. Or if physics don't work. Or if Shia LaBeouf had Shut been played by literally any other actor on the earth. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because Chaz, Chaz was that was a weird portrayal. Chaz was like an older guy, kind of like the confidant, like friend. In my in my opinion, like for the through the comic book series, he was older and more established, and like had a background in it. Like whereas this was the opposite that, of that. Yeah, Shy was just like kind of introduced into a drive, you know, still driving the cab and everything, and that's fine. Yeah. But it was like, you know, oh, I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning, and then turn him into an angel, and like, fuck that. It's stupid. It's stupid. It's stupid. stupid. Well, awesome, guys. We, uh, we officially knocked the first part of the segment that, that uh, Trey has uh, masterminded the aughts and going through a movie list of those and finding out which ones are the best from that movie uh from that from that movie from that decade oh okay who won who won between the three of us because my votes for v for vendetta because y'all pick shitty movies okay so let's do this let's do it this way you can't vote for yourself so you can't vote for yours so you have to vote Rather than do your stupid fake tie rules, you YMCA, everyone gets a medal, you millennial shit. Let's do it this way. <laughs> Let's all vote for the movie that we all can agree is the best movie, which is V for Vendetta. None of y'all's opinions matter. Fuck you. I love you both. It's so good to see you guys. I want to hug y'all in person, but coronavirus and all that bullshit. What's your, what's your vote for not yours? My vote? Yeah, for not yours. It's Watchmen. Which movie would I rather see again? Uh, I'm going to go with Constantine because I thought Rachel Wise was prettier than Mal uh, Ackerman. Rachel Wise. That's, that's literally the only reason. And I'm going to go for V for Vendetta because that's a great movie. So what's yours? So what's yours? So, so we I'm, one yeah, for I'm the tiebreaker. For, You're the tiebreaker. Yeah, one for Constantine, one for, one for V for Vendetta. Actually, I think we mm. just have one for V for Vendetta. <laughs> and one for Constantine. Yeah. I vote neither one of them. <laughs> Fuck you, Urban. <laughs> you piece of shit. Leave your vote. Leave your... Leave your vote in the comments. That goes to the last alphabetically, which is V for Vendetta. <laughs> uh, no it's not yeah i was like i win <laughs> yes i win you dumb uh bitch. the last alphabetically that got voted for which is not watchman you piece of shit <laughs> oh, no one fuck. likes watchman i didn't hear that i didn't hear that no he, he didn't say that he yeah he, he lawyered right. that, that was in the mind box we'll check the tapes you we'll, bitches we'll check the tape <laughs> dope uh, thanks for joining us, guys. Let us know, like Trey said, leave it in the comments what you think is uh, is the best one of the three. And then also, yeah, also give your vote for the list that we went over, the extremely, extremely long list that we went over last time, if there was one that we should have chosen instead. 
Mm. Aside from the Dark Knight, because obviously that was the best movie. Yeah, and, and after and after you leave your comment that V for Vendetta was the best of the three, go ahead and leave comments as to why Irvin and Trey should be drawn and quartered for having their shitty, terrible picks, because they're horrible people. And Irvin, look at you. You get that smug, stupid smile for someone who likes Watchmen. Ugh. 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 It's okay. It's fine. 